semifinals are set in our Best of Texas High School tournament, some light at the end of the tunnel, and a conversation with Doug and Tom Andrew about polo in San Antonio. Here we go. This is the TX Water Polo Podcast, James and Austin, Joe in North Texas. Here we go again, Joe. It's like we've been sitting at home for about six weeks now. How have you been? I'm good. I'm taking a break between emails, phone calls, and yard work. So I know. In that order? Actually, I did some yard work this morning, so yeah. Good for you. So, I mean, I, I guess, but I did some uh, kind of emails before that. So, But um, yeah, I mean, it's just, again, we're trying to get everything done on our to-do list that, that we never had time before, so. That's true. I'm losing a little momentum, I have to admit, but uh, also doing stuff like trying to get my pool a little warmer so that I could actually hop in and do something. It's just really, I'm such a wimp now. It's very Barton Springs cold. Um, But yeah, just that kind of stuff is keeping us occupied. Um, I guess the big news is to start with that uh, Governor Abbott made an announcement about the, the way that the state is planning on reopening stuff. By the way, that whole idea of reopening the economy seems to be a fairly strange way to put it, but it's like reopening businesses or whatever, but a little personal thing. But um, so the, the phase one of the plan is going to allow for a bunch of different kinds of businesses to open on May 1. That, that stuff's all available online. Um, but what was interesting was that in the announcement, at least according to NBC from Dallas-Fort Worth, the pools will remain closed until May 18 at the very earliest. And that was explicitly stated then. So there's some light at the end of the tunnel, maybe that after mm. phase one is over, that pools will perhaps be open. But yeah, that's the final piece kind of to our puzzle here. You know, like uh, when are clubs and athletes and teams going to be able to have access to pools for practice and competitions? Yeah. And it's going to be probably different in every municipality, every school district. Um, I know that the city of Denton and the city of Rockwell have closed their pools, their public pools for the entire uh, kind of the summer season. Oh, the whole summer, right, yeah. So, I mean, um, I haven't heard anything as far as any specific school districts yet because I, I don't think those decisions have been made. But there's going to be other school districts or there's going to be other municipalities that are probably going to gonna open up on, you know, just right after the Memorial Day weekend. So who knows? What do you think about, um, you know, there's a private pool in my area, and this is total speculation, I understand, but what do you think – are they going to be under the same restrictions? You know, are they considered public even though they're privately owned? Well, I think, um, I think kind of movie theaters are going to be allowed to start opening up this upcoming Friday, right? Correct. Yeah. So I kind of see pools are kind of like, like the movie theaters. All right. Do you open up and pay staff only, but, but you can only have the 25% of the population in there. Is that going to be worth it for the bottom line? Right. For sure. I don't know. Very good question. And uh, I mean, like, I think, AMC is closing until July or kind of August for all their big kind of movie theaters. So, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there might be some mom and pop kind of movie theaters that are going to be kind of opening, but if you only allow the up to 25%, it might be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the rule. 25% threshold, um, retail stores, restaurants, movie theaters, and malls. That's particularly what's on the phase one list. So uh, we will, we will see how it works. It's going to be Gosh, such a so stressful. And then at the same time, um, just really briefly, a new story came out on Sky News this morning from a couple officials saying that um, if uh, if they don't find a vaccine, quote unquote, soon, that the Olympics will be canceled. Or um, and so 
it just brings to mind, you know, how serious the situation is. But uh, obviously, if the that that's these are two people out of many who are organizing this, or at least associated with it. So there's lots of differing opinions. But yeah, depressing headline to read this morning. That is the rabbit. Yeah, that's going down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So I mean, of just kind of watching news, like a little bit too much news. And I think I felt into that early on back in March. But, you know, I'm I'm staying kind of aware of what's going on, but I'm not trying to just kind of focus on that stuff. But, yeah, like, you know, like there needs to be vaccines. There needs to be testing like there like there needs to be testing. But, you know, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen this summer, uh, let alone the summer of 2021 in Tokyo. So. We don't know anything. That's the yeah. that's the frustrating part, obviously. All right. Well, well actually, we, we do know something. We know that this week is the next coaches to coaches that mm-hmm. we're featuring on TX Water Polo. Um, it's been pretty successful so far, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'm excited. This uh, this upcoming Thursday is Mark Lawrence from Austin never, College. Never heard of him. Don't know. And he's going to work on, you know, kind of body position and movement. Um, which is very, very important of that. And it's very, very kind of overlooked. Um, next week on May 7th, it's going to be Daniel Cox from the Southside Water Polo Club. Oh, he's, cool. yeah, and he's going to go over center defense. On May 14th, it's going to be Coach Alex from the St. Mark's. And he's an assistant coach at St. Mark's. And for Pegasus Water Polo Academy, he's going to go over kind of goalie basics. He's he's like the goalie coach yeah, up there. That's and he's from Serbia, and it's going to be a great kind of a goalie-specific session. Then May 21st is going to be Sabrina Carlisle from um, uh, North Texas, and then she's going to go over the front court defense. So. Yeah, cool. These are sessions on Zoom, obviously, um, in which these – it's basically a webinar, right? I mean, that's fair enough to say that they're leading a discussion at the very least of here are some fundamentals. And it's made for – it's certainly made for those who are current coaches, but in, in especially for those who might be new to the sport. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be like kind of kind of so far we've had a, a wide a wide range of people that have kind of kind of been at the sessions and it's for anywhere from college coaches to brand new people that have never coached the sport. So, yeah. um, and it's just it's an opportunity to share ideas and ask questions back and forth. And we are recording all the sessions and just kind of in kind of building a library. So yeah. it's going to be you fun. Can always go back and check them out on txwaterpolo.com. Um, and then uh, tonight, Town Hall, your first one. You're yeah. the one leading this, yes? Yeah, it's going to be the Southwest Zone Town Hall meeting. Um, people are probably going to listen to the podcast after this happens. So, But uh, but tonight we're doing uh, Robert Allback, and he's the Southwest Zone chair. And we're just going to kind of have a general discussion of kind of the current landscape of the Southwest Zone, Texas uh, specifically, you know, as, yeah, as far as the calendar and just kind of, you know, allow – athletes and parents to ask some questions right you know like about high school or the national junior olympics or you know we kind of move some things around as far as our calendar is concerned and it's just it's it's going to be very similar to the coach to coaches it's going to be on one topic each week and yeah and next week uh we're gonna have angela una who's who's going to talk about the new rules for high school and um and obviously like the new USA water pole rules and just the need for officials in general. So is, and, and you would say that the, is it, you know, mainly for parents, it's really for anybody I understand, but uh, you know, parents might find the most value out of it of, of anybody. I think so. And, and that's yeah. and this, and these are going to be every Tuesday at six 30 uh, PM. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think parents are going to get a lot out of it. And then, so, you know, so this week's going to be the, like the general discussion, right. 
eventually, and then next week's going to be rules and referees. And then after that, we're eventually going to do a ODP one with you and uh, Chris Cohen. And at some point, yeah, we'll also do a, um, a, like, if you want to play water polo in college, like kind of, you know, it's like the do's and don'ts. And <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a never ending kind of, uh, like of topics. So, yeah, well, this is an opportunity now that we're all shuttered in, maybe not for so much longer, but still, um, to, to basically allow for parents or whoever's a fan from throughout the entire state to take part in a meeting, you know, without having to travel to Austin or wherever. I think it's great. I think the, the turnout's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be pretty big. We will see. I am see. hoping for f- at least five people. At least five. <laughs> yeah. That'd be better than our podcast. Uh, no, um, no, no, I mean, but um, no, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's again, you know, it's just an opportunity. It's us reaching out, you know, we can't go to the pools and, and we can't see each other. So this is just going to be a, a nice way for everyone to connect. So. Yeah. Good times. And you mentioned uh, Angela Uno coming next week. Um, and you said the secret words, new high school rules, which is uh, a rumor swirling around. Yeah. So, um, I don't think it's been officially announced yet, but uh, the high school rules, the NFHS, the National Federation of High Schools, um, their new um, rules for water polo starting this upcoming school year, the 2020 and 2021 school year, they're going to change the rules to basically what are the current new USA water polo rules. Right. This so hasn't with been the six yeah. year line and stuff like that. So cool. It hasn't been published as far as we can tell, right? But uh, I think. I think there are enough insiders who seem to know what's going on that this is not a surprise. Real well, you know, it's it's something of a surprise. But but good news for those who think that these rules should be unified across the different platforms, right? So it's a, this is this is a good thing. Yeah, and and the only two kind of specific ones that they're not kind of adopting are they're not going to adopt the kind of reset to 20 seconds, and they're not going to adopt the flying subs where the like the sub can go up to half tank. So right. those are only two ones, but everything else is going to be approximately the same. There might be some different interpretations for the rules here or there. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but the basic structure is going to be the same, which is going to be great for everybody. So. That flying substitution thing is really fun in theory, but you don't really see it very much. Uh, I mean, and I know why, because there's, you know, so many pools don't have lane lines on the side, and that that's the rule. Like, you can't just do it from the deck. You have to do it from a, a space between a a borderline in the wall. So anyway, well, you have to practice it. It's, yeah. I mean, that part's fun. The, like, like the flying sub thing, it's like the bolt heads kind of have to be up and they have to give a high five and then the other player right. can go. Yeah. That actually, I think kind of that little hesitation and that extra kind of the two, three seconds kind of stops any advantage that you might get from it. Sure. Yeah. And so, um, which is, which is, which is perfectly fine. I understand the concept and, and I like it. It's different. It, it's, uh, it's kind of fun. Um, but, uh, but you know, I haven't coached it at all. Yeah. You haven't? I, had, I have not coached a game kind of, kind of with the opportunity kind of to do that. So, um, so I haven't really, I don't have a, a kind of a big base of experience kind of with that specific rule. So oh, you'll be shocked to know that I have actually, because we were mm-hmm. part of the cool beach tournament last year. Um, and, uh, and that's just when those rules had come out. And so 
I remember we're playing against some teams that are pretty experienced and my guys are all going to half tank. They're like, you know, and the other coaches are looking at me like, what are you doing? Because they're making flying substitutions, but from the corner, like the traditional, you know, so-called yeah. traditional way. So, yeah, we, we actually practiced that. It was really fun. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I like the new rules. It Obviously, there is a little bit of a getting used to period for, for some of the new rules in 2019. And then all the new rules came on board in, tw- uh, in uh, on January 1 of this year. Yeah. And I like them. It took a little bit to get used to them, but, you know, it's just adjusting and adapting. There's been a ton of new rule changes kind of since I started playing the sport a long time ago. No kidding. I've been I don't know if you've been watching any of these old flashback games, but just watching the referees, the flags and the pace. And man, it's just a completely different game. Yep. Um, so, all right, that's it for now. Let's, uh, we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about the second round of our best of Texas tournament. Right about now, you might be expecting some song and dance about a product you don't need. Well, shush, we don't advertise here and we want to keep it that way. So we sure would appreciate your help. Show your support by going to TXWaterPolo.com forward slash donate so we can keep covering the sport we love in the great state of Texas. Hi, I'm U.S. Olympian Janai Kerr, and when I need to stay up to date with my water polo news in Texas, I listen to the TX Water Polo Podcast. Uh, James and Joe, we're back with you, and uh, round two of our Best of Texas tournament is now over. Um, 527 voters, and that is um, when we asked everybody to actually vote for every single game, unlike last week. So very good turnout once again, over 500 votes. And uh, let's go through them, boys, first, Um, and these will all be posted online as well. I mean, we're recording midday on Tuesday, but uh, who knows, might not be out till Wednesday. First round, Flower Mound versus uh, 2018 Flower Mound versus 1996 Clear Lake, and uh, Clear Lake won almost 60%. I I might have been a little surprised by that. Yeah, um, that kind of that kind of bucks the trend of the recency bias. Yeah, so. it really does. Exactly. Um, and so uh, then the next is funny because uh, well, not it's not that funny. 09 Clear Lake versus 01 Baytown Sterling. Baytown Sterling had a good day. Let's put it that way. Uh, sure they did. come out on top, 53.5%. That is the Justin Puttable pick right there. So. Oh right, yeah. God, jeez, that I should have known that. Um, the next was a bit of a surprise. I'm not surprised at the outcome, but the 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 delta, the, the difference between these two figures. 2007 Baytown Sterling, who you consider to be one of the great teams, uh, 63.4% over that 2012 straight Jesuit team that was actually very very good. Oh, I, oh, I think both teams were yeah are great. Just I just know that 2007 team is was stacked they were loaded yeah um and then finally for the quarterfinals uh cy creek 06 cy creek their voters came out strong man they they beat uh the 2015 st mark's teams uh 54 and a half percent to 45 and a half yeah that yeah that cy creek team was led by austin long who's a strong player and yeah and we yeah, and went out and played at pacific but i was shocked i mean i know that st mark's team is yeah was loaded as well and kind of and kind of had a ton of players that yeah that went and played in college again but it's the re and that's again it bucks the recency bias trend right it really does um 
So now we have two Baytown Sterling teams in the semis, so they, they could theoretically play against one another, the 01 and 07. But before that, Baytown has to play Clear Lake. Uh, 01, Baytown has to play Clear Lake from 96, and 07, Sterling has to play 06, Side Creek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's going to be four Houston teams, and um, and they're all strong teams. They all kind of kind of represent their different eras, you know. Um, although the 2006 and 2007 teams, I, I think, it'd be interesting to kind of see what the records were in 2006. Yeah, right? so, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, was it? Um, has it. But uh, no, but it's no, it's uh, it's yeah, it's definitely going to be uh, it's going to be fun to kind of see who comes out of that. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, so on the girls' side, if Baytown Sterling had a good day on the boys' side, they had a better day on the on the girls' side. Um, 2019 Foster versus 07 Baytown Sterling girls. Yeah, Baytown Sterling. I, here, here, just away. yeah, yeah. Like I'm sorry. They, yeah, they won what 73% to 26.9%. Correct. Yeah. Big day. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but yeah, I just I probably heard from more people about that matchup than any other matchup. Oh, why? What do you think? It was, why did you make kind of kind of two of Scott's teams play in the second round? <laughs> I heard that from players, parents, Too bad. coaches, yeah. everything. Yeah. And I go, this is just the way it was. You got to play who's in front of you. That's yeah, the way exactly. we look at it. Exactly. exactly. All right, 92 Paytown Sterling versus 2016 South Lake Carroll. This time Sterling wins, but it was a 54, or sorry, 52.4% over 47.6. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, the reasons like that buck the trend. At least there's still there's still a '90 boys team and, and a and a 1990s uh, yeah. uh, girls team. So that's yeah. good. Yeah, we know we, we know who came out to vote because uh, again, next game 2014's Baytown Sterling team wins by 61 and a half percent over the 2018 Geyer team. Again, ruining our our uh, theory that the more recent teams are going to get more votes. And that 20 and that and that 2014 was coached by. Coach Allie Hill. So that's right. Uh, so, Aquatics, so yeah, yeah. Um, and finally, a game with no Baytown Sterling. Finally, 04 Clear Lake uh, wins over 2016 Side Creek. Uh, a closer match, 53.7 percent versus 46.3. Yeah, and that was uh, you know, uh, her name's uh, Kristen Oliver now, who coaches in at, at the Southside Water Polo Club. She was on that 2004 Clear Lake team. So yeah. Beautiful. It, it, it used to be Christian Barnett. So yeah. Um, so we have one Sam. We, we have one semi with two Baytown Sterling teams, one with one. Um, and uh, so the only outlier is the 04 Clear Lake team. So we shall see. Yeah, it's going to be interesting that uh, Sterling versus Sterling. Sterling versus Sterling. This would see. Yeah, right. Now all these people who went out to vote and who clearly favored Sterling, now they're going to actually finally have to make a choice. Like which one <laughs> of those teams is going to be better? And I did get a, I did catch a little bit of flack too last week. You know, like, why are all these Sterling teams in here? Well, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think Sterling kind of represents. They may not have, they may not have been as strong the last few years, uh, but they were uh, one of the best programs from the mid '80s all the way up till the mid 2000s. Yeah. Or the mid 2010s. So. We've gone over a lot of that, which is really fun. Um, one thing that was sort of missing out is, like, as you said, all these teams are Houston. So obviously there aren't any North Texas teams in there, but there also aren't any um, uh, Central Texas teams. And uh, coming up here, we're going to have a com- – I had a conversation with Doug Andrew and his son Tom Andrew, both of whom have been involved in the San, San, San Antonio scene for a long time, like you have. And you know these guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did you learn some new stuff? Uh, 
I will tell you two things that I, I it's a really interesting interview because I um and so I am encouraging people to listen to the whole thing. Well, I think we'll do the same thing where we'll put out excerpts today and then put out the entire interview on Thursday. Um, but what I didn't understand was that how Clark and Marshall were actually the, what what they claimed was that the well there was a split right they Marshall came along in eighty seven eighty eight something like that or I think it was a little bit earlier but but that the, that talent got split between those two schools right so Clark could have been actually really a dominant power at least in theory right um, and then the other thing was that the that that sort of dilution took place as the city of San Antonio grew. So all these new uh, schools kept cropping up, and the talent that was concentrated at the uh, is it called Alamo Aquatics, the the swim program. It's Alamo Area Aquatics. Alamo so Area, right? Aquatic. And and that got distributed to all the high schools. So the way Tom put it was that uh, if if you know if before each team had three four five really good players then now they had two one or two you know and so it just diluted the talent so um john marshall was the first high school in northside isd in san antonio okay and, and it's the oldest high school so that was that, that 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 was the one that started and then along came jay and holmes and then clark was the fourth high school and they came around in 1979 there and you go other way around other way and, around, and, I got that and, mixed up. Yeah. And, and then they did pull from the Marshalls. So, and then they just kind of dominated for, I think they played each other for what, I think we talked about this before, about yeah. for what, about seven, eight years in both in both boys and girls. And, uh, you know, we talked about Mark Kelly and Kirk Swanson, but Doug Andrew was, he was a top swim coach, a top, oh, like, you know, water polo coach, and one of the nicest human beings that, yeah, that you'll ever meet. I mean, he did not yell, scream, or get on kids, but he, his kids love him, yeah. love him. Then they were, um, they were dedicated and they were committed and they were disciplined. And they actually kind of, they kind of ran an offense called the lung. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the lung. And it was basically a ball side drive offense from the, like the two position that it, it kind of mirrored what the Naval Academy was doing back in the 80s and 90s. And it was and it was just kind of very effective. I mean, they had like their like last little run. They like their boys lost three straight kind of state championship games. But they but they had four guys on that team that I think won a 301 in their 400 freestyle. Yeah. Which was a national record at the time. Super strong aquatic. So, yeah. I mean, it, it was I mean, they had a ton of great swimmers. Um, and um, but but he got there in 1981, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what the, that's my memory. Yes. So, um, I mean, and I think they were either boys or girls in the state championship game up until the mid nineties every year. So uh, just a great family. And then of course, you know, kind of Tom now coaches down at Longhorn Aquatics, his son. Yep. So, So, um, yeah, we'll take another short break and we'll come back and you can hear excerpts of that conversation with Doug and Tom Andrew right over this. Hey, this is Mark Lawrence from Austin College, head coach of the men's and women's Warpolo programs and home of our kangaroos. When I'm interested in uh, what's going on with Texas Warpolo, I always listen to TX Warpolo podcast. As part of our Best of Texas tournament and series, it's time to check in on the significant contribution to the game made by our friends in San Antonio. So Skyping with us are... Doug Andrew, two-time Tisca Water Polo Coach of the Year, and his son, Tom, who was an all-region player and first-team player, an all-star, and is now the head coach at Longhorn Aquatics. So thank you both for uh, speaking with us today. You're welcome. 
So, yeah, so um, it's a fascinating period of time and one that I personally don't know as much as I really should. And so um, I'm hoping that you'll fill us in not only about, of course, your own personal experiences, but about sort of the larger San Antonio role. So, um, Doug, if you wouldn't mind, how did you get involved in aquatics in the first place? And was it always in San Antonio? Uh, No, I started in aquatics uh, at college. I went to college in Ohio and was primarily a swimmer. And what brought you from Ohio to San Antonio? I was in the Army in 1970, and I came down here, and uh, one of the things I did was hook up with the swim team at Fort Sam Houston, where I was stationed. And then how did that lead into water polo? Because it's, it's uh, not necessarily uh, a um, you know straight line to that. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, in 1981, I got a job coaching John Marshall High School, and one one of the things that we had to do was coach water polo. So George Block and some of the other coaches there, Co- uh, Kurt Swanson, helped uh, school me into what we needed to know about water polo because it was at that time very competitive. Right. At our pool. That that indicates that there's some demand for the sport. So there were a bunch of kids who really wanted to play, and then you know coaches sort of had to catch up. Is that sort of right? Well, no. The George knew a lot about water polo. He was a coach at uh, I think 1979, uh, or he he was the the uh, Alamo Heights coach. So he coached some in, in the state tournaments. And uh, Coach Swanson played in um, in California. So between the two of them, I got started and learned. And then uh, about the second or third year I was there, I was sent to uh, Colorado Springs for a training camp and um, learned a whole lot there. You used the term that you had to teach uh, or coach water polo, and it's not to say that you didn't want to, but was it? It just wasn't on your agenda at the time, I guess. No, it was one of the things that they had uh, started at the uh, Northside Aquatic Center. Mm. Every, every swimming team had a water polo team, and uh, it actually functioned really well at getting the team together at the beginning of the year. Uh, Everybody was in the pool all at the same time, and they were all training at the same time, and uh, they got to know each other. It's it's easier to get to learn other team members if you're interacting with them other than swimming up and down the black line, <laughs> which is kind of solitary. Yeah, most definitely. So is was that the purpose of doing water polo, was to sort of give them a break and also to just introduce them to a different way of competing with one another? Yeah, I think of what, that was one of the uh, things that they wanted to do was preseason conditioning. And uh, at that time, the the uh, season was from <clears throat> the schools, the start of school until the end of October. I think the state tournament was like the 31st of October. Um, and at the same time, you're at least suggesting, maybe I misheard you, but that this was also done under the auspices of clubs. So you're playing age group water polo too? Yes. Uh, in addition to being a high school coach, each of us coached a different part of the uh, club. And at that time, 
Kurt Swanson was doing the age grouper. So when the kids got to middle school, uh, they learned water polo. Same time frame that we were doing it in high school. The age groupers were doing mm -hmm. it. The sixth, seventh, and eighth graders were okay. doing water polo with him. And they had tournaments. He traveled to, to Dallas and Houston and played with other teams with the same level. And what club was that? What was it called? Our club, Alamo yeah. Aquatics. Okay, so so that team traveled Houston or uh, Dallas, Houston. Um, you know, in that in that period of time, did it ever leave the state, or did it ever have teams come to Texas from out of state? No. So I suppose then we should move on to the '80s itself, and um, just to fill everybody in, between '83 and 1990, Marshall, your high school, took part in six of the eight championship matches in that period. Um, how what can you tell us about that period? How was it that you maintained such success? Um, well, once we got the uh, the offense and the uh, the way we were going to play water polo figured out, we started training it, and the older people started teaching it to the younger people. I had coaches in the pool that were seniors that had been with me two or three years, and they would help me out with the freshmen. And uh, I also had outstanding swimmers at that time. Not only were we going to state and water polo, but we're also in the top five pretty often in the swimming at the UIL State Swimming Championship. Yeah, right. So we definitely had, I definitely had the uh, talent there. It was a very talented group of people for 20 years or so wow. at Marshall. Did you recognize at the time that, you know, you were really running the table on the whole state of Texas? Was it a point of pride? Uh, yeah, we we realized that we we're doing really well in water polo. And yeah, I guess we were. <laughs> we took pride in that. <laughs> so then in 87, you win the whole thing. What is it that you can remember about that team? The boys team, yeah, I won that in girls that year as well. Uh, the boys team was uh, uh, really well balanced. We had two or three seniors that led the team, Ellis Eaton and Chris Alvera. Uh, we had a uh, good junior class and then a sophomore class. I had four sophomores that were just outstanding. Then my freshman class, I had six freshmen, and uh, they uh, they had such competition that only two of them made it on the travel team. We could only, at that time, I think, take 14 to state. Wow. So uh, some of them stayed home, but we had a lot of competition among ourselves, and, of course, the, the region that we were in was pretty competitive. We ended up playing Clark for the final game, but it was the Sterling game in the semifinals that kind of decided that they were the probably one of the best teams that year that we came up, up against. And we had played them earlier in the season in, in Houston, and they were really good. But we beat them in the semifinals. Just outstanding play from all the players and a lot of swimming, which uh, we prided ourselves on. Right. And and the girls, too. Oh, yeah. The girls, uh, we had 
three or four junior national swimmers in, with the girls too. The boys, we had some of those were junior national swimmers as well. Um, and then Tom, I don't know what, if anything, you recall about that period of time, like what you had an experience sort of, uh, from the periphery about what was going on with your father, with the scene in, in San Antonio, what is it that you can share with us about that? Yeah. So for most of that, uh, I was at the pool for, you know, four or five hours at a time, <laughs> but, uh, just running around, you know, I remember there was games going on, everybody was cheering and yelling and I was playing with the other little siblings at, at, you know, uh, outside the pool. Right. So it was a lot of fun. The thing I remember the most though, is that, uh, it was, it was really fun if we won because then they threw my dad in the water. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought that was the coolest thing, you know, you didn't really see that at any of the swim meets. Um, and, and to me, I thought that was pretty normal to, Oh, yeah, we're going to go to this tournament. We're going to win it. And then we're going to get thrown in the water, you know, especially <laughs> get thrown in the water. So I, it wasn't until later I realized you actually had to win the tournament to do that. And yeah. You just let it happen no matter what. Like, yeah. 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 And that's still something I'm looking forward to, you know, one day in my coaching career. That'll be <laughs> yeah. I, I suspect that's going to happen. I'll do it for you, Tom. I'll just push <laughs> you in when, when I'm there. Yeah. Um, and do you, Tom, remember? I don't know if this is a, a you know, recollection at that age, but that, you know, you, you sort of recognize that, hey, this is really the best water polo in the state of Texas at that point. Um, yeah, I didn't really have a concept of, you know, the, the strengths of the other areas of the state. I just assume because, you know, we, they have all the flags hanging in the, in the rafters of the pool uh, mm -hmm. where we train, of, you know, state champion this, state champion that. And I just assume, I, you know, we went, we go to state and we win kind of thing. Right. Uh, and it wasn't until I was in, and actually when I was in high school in the nineties, I, that's when Houston started to come up a little bit more and, uh, we're like, Oh shoot, like, these guys are as, as good if not better than us, um, at water polo. So yeah, that, that's something I want to cover as well. Um, but before that, let's, uh, let's cover what might be a more painful subject. And that is Clark. <laughs> they won four straight and, uh, where you're, it seems like your nemesis during this period of time. Um, what can you tell us about that rivalry? Uh, it was a pretty intense rivalry at the pool. Uh, not only did we want to beat them in water polo, but the dual meets were pretty big deals too. When we right. swam later in the year. And district champions and regional championships, we were uh, right there ne uh, next to them tooth and nail every year. So it was a, you know, rivalries make everybody better. Yes. So uh, it certainly helped us out. I, w I would have liked to have won more of them, but <laughs> it, was, it was nice to be in the final game. It's it's fascinating because this is a school that's essentially, I think, six miles away from your campus. So you you're encountering that team, Alamo Heights, uh, others from your, your region at the highest levels of high school water polo. Um, it, it, it seems like, and inevitably you're going to know one another. The kids are going to know one another. The coaches obviously know one another. Did it ever get kind of chippy or was it always fairly cordial? Um, I think it was mostly cordial. We had just split. Tom Clark High School uh, was uh, a split off from Marshall in 1979-1980. Mm. So the kids knew, some of them even went to school with each other for right. the older ones. And then after that, they had their own identity and uh, did really well. 
And the other thing about uh, San Antonio or Northside in particular is that all the high schools train at the same pool. So you see all your, you know, your, your friends and your, the people you're playing against every week and you see them every day. So it was always a little bit closer than like in the California scene. I noticed particularly like it's much more territorial because you have your home pool that you play at. You know, there's like an actual home game and away game, which whereas Northside, it was the same pool. You know, everybody, there was no real home court advantage or anything. Well, so the home court advantage is one issue, but is it to the point where you sort of knew how the other team was training and did that even help you? Yes, we knew how everybody was training. Sometimes we did uh, the conditioning part all together as one group. Right. Then split up into the high schools for the skill work and the tactics. So, yeah, we were aware of how well they were being trained or not training. You know, we kept an eye on that. And your trip to Colorado Springs, you said, taught you a lot. Was that? Could you say that that maybe even gave you a bit of an advantage over your other coaches, or were they sort of experiencing the same thing? Um, I think it was more, more catch-up for me. When I finished with that, I could understand what everybody was talking <laughs> and um, oh, Go ahead. It helped develop me, my philosophy on how the offense and defense should be. Uh, run the, the guy that was in charge. I can't think of his name. Was a really good coach at that time. And okay, then, yeah, go ahead. The assistant coaches, the father Alcevedo. Oh yeah, Ricardo Alcevedo. Yep. Uh, Ricardo, yeah, he was one of the. I think he would help with the shooting or the offense. The head coach, but he was there. All right, and so then, then Tom, you actually went on to play for your father at Marshall. What year was the? What year was your final year at high school? I graduated in 2002. All right, so it's a, it's a decade really after all of this this uh, you know the the successes that they had. Um, you went on. What do you recollect from that time at uh, at Marshall, especially in relation? I think you mentioned before that the teams from Houston were actually becoming quite good. Yeah. So so in San Antonio, there I kind of came in at like the very very end of when water we were relatively competent at water polo. And my dad mentioned a bit uh, how how Clark had split off from Marshall, right? And and those, they were two big, you know, rivals because they all knew each other, but they were still pretty strong. But they kept opening more high schools in San Antonio, so I kept kind of diluting the the all the athletes and the talent in our our district. So by the time I got to there, got to Marshall, they had opened up uh, two or three more schools in our district. And so um, instead of each team having, you know five or six solid guys on the team. We had two or three, if we we're lucky, and then a bunch of kids who were just teaching how to swim, teaching how to play water polo. So uh, so when we played those Houston teams, we felt like, all right, we we didn't feel like uh, like player to player, like they were head and shoulders better than us. They just had a lot more depth. So they had six, you know, they went at least a full starting lineup of guys that could play, and then a couple guys off the bench that knew what they were doing too. So that was, they were always a little jealous of that. I did not realize that the that it, this is the first time I've heard that the talent pool may have very well been diluted by the fact that the area is growing. Um, it it at least lends one explanation for why the fortunes of San Antonio teams changed over that period of time. Yeah, that was always our our biggest. I mean, especially at Marshall, our biggest complaint is that three or four of our our good friends and, and best players ended up going to O'Connor, and that school opened up my freshman year. And so that basically split our the Marshall team in half. 
and uh, and so they had half of a pretty good team, and we had half a pretty good team. But right. together, you know, on our own, we couldn't really compete that well. And are these are all still kids that are training together as or had trained together on the club too, right? Yeah, and it, the club was linked pretty closely to the school district there, so almost all the kids swam club at, at some level by the time they got to high school. Um, even to the point where it was pretty rare to train just with your high school, even if you were a high school only swimmer. Mm. They, they what they would do is they put all the high school only swimmers together in a group, and they'd all train together. Okay. Um, and then, uh, so you graduate 2002, you head off to UT, you had a, obviously a lot of success in swimming as well. Um, when you arrive at UT, what are, what is your intention? Are you swimming and playing water polo? You knew that you wanted to go there to play water polo or was it just entirely like a scholastic decision? Uh, a little bit of everything. I, I had my best swimming season ever as my senior year, and that was mostly due to the fact that I promised myself it'd be my last year as long as, long as I tried as hard as I possibly could, you know, and, and practice every day. And, um, and I felt like, you know, I, I, did, I did a pretty good job my, my senior season swimming. Uh, I, did, I did get appendicitis the week before my, oh, my no. sectionals meet. So oh, no. I got to swim at state, but then the next week I wasn't able to swim at, at sectionals, which was a bit of a bummer. But yeah. um, but going, I went to UT. Basically, I came down to, you know, I always, I always liked the pool. We had a ton of club meets there, a lot of water polo games. So I knew if I was going to be hanging out a pool somewhere, that that was a place to to be. Um, I just liked the the campus and the area better. It came down to A&M and UT, really. And I had more friends going to UT. I had I liked the area better. Uh, and I hadn't really considered playing water polo. I didn't. I wasn't really familiar with the club uh, program. Mm. Um, but I was wearing like one of the first days of school, I was wearing my state water polo shirt in class and the kid be- behind me is like, Hey, you know, you play water polo. We have, there's, they have a club team here. You should come check it out. And, uh, that ended up being, uh, my fellow, my fellow captain, Mitch Alquist, who was, you know, one wow. big player on our team. And so we, uh, yeah, we, we joined up and, and, uh, it was definitely a lot different. I mean, I had come from playing, uh, our our last semester, spring semester of my senior year, they put all the seniors together and we all played and we got to play. And, and that was for us, like us Marshall kids and pretty, pretty much everybody but Clark, that was the only time we got to beat any of those uh, Houston teams mm. because we had a, all of our seniors and we all were pretty good players and we all knew each other really well. So anyway, that was probably one of the best teams I'd ever played on to everybody being gung-ho and about the water polo to the club you know, the club scene, which is, it has a few players that are interested in playing water polo, but for most of them, it's like a, a pseudo fraternity. It's just a social group kind of. Right. Well, and, and then you're hinting at it at least, and we know that this is the case currently, but you're bumping into these people that you know, that you either were on your high school team or were in your region. So you're just, you're playing against many of the same guys that you did in, in high school. Correct. Yeah. Um, although there was a, the cool thing about club here in, in Texas is you get a lot of people from out of state. So there's a lot of people from all over the country that have played. Right. And it was really interesting to me to see what, you know, their their fundamentals, where they came from, that program. Um, you know, I had a lot of a lot of the upperclassmen trying to explain, you know, the really basics of water polo for the, my first couple of weeks to me, which, you know, was frustrating. But, you know, motivation to prove them that, you know, I do know what I'm talking about, what I'm doing. Right. Oh yeah, um, and uh, you're obviously a coach's son. So were aquatics your thing from the start, or did you dabble in any other sports along the way? 
Uh, yeah, we, you know, I think every kid from my generation did play some sort of t-ball, and so I did t-ball and pitching machine, and basically gave that up when I got to to kid pitch. I figured I didn't trust myself to throw a ball remotely accurately, so I didn't trust anybody else. <laughs> so I did that, uh, you know, just intramural soccer. Um, but yeah, it was always the pool. It was like the one area where I could was actually above average in sports. So I think that was where I was always going to end up. And now you're at Longhorn. You've been coaching for quite a while. But here's an obvious question. How much do you think that you've drawn from your experience with your dad? Uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, I, I initially had no plans of being a coach, you know, in college. Um, but I was looking through my my degree uh, options and, and I ended up doing human development and that's just, you know, studying how, um, how uh, specifically kids, uh, you know, their different stages they grow up, they grow up with and go through and it's like, well, I don't, I don't know what this could be useful for in a, <laughs> a professional setting. I'm like, well, I guess, you know, I'm always, I had done some summer league coaching by that point. Like uh, it would help me understand, you know, why this 12 year old is, being like he is and maybe I can figure out how to motivate him a little bit better. So, wow. um, that's kind of the path that I was, that kind of came to eventually. Right. And, uh, and yeah, once I was dealing with all these, these kids, I would, I did think a lot, okay, how did my dad handle the situation? And he's definitely more of a, uh, the strong silent type, like you're not out there yelling a lot and being boisterous and he specifically I'm pretty sure speaks quietly so that you know the kids have to kind of perk up and listen they can't you know they have to pay attention and, and that had worked pretty well and of course I tried that uh, to not as much success early on so <laughs> I was going to say did you learn your sarcasm from him oh 100 percent yeah that's uh <laughs> that's is the best place to be uh I guess Depend, depending on perspective, but it wasn't so bad to be on the bench in those water polo games because you could hear all his, com- his comments, you know, as the game was going on. Right. And you knew he wasn't going to be making fun of you if you were on the bench, so they <laughs> kind of safe. Yeah, it's a it's a safety net. I know I draw draw on that sarcasm too. Um, so uh, we lost your dad. I mean, oh boy, that sounds dramatic. His uh, connection fell, but um, so um, I, but I did want to ask both of you and uh, you in particular about um, what happened. You know, so you mentioned that the the talent diluted right around the point at which you were uh, starting to play in, at San Antonio high schools, and then within. Uh, Less than a well, within a decade or so, then San Antonio essentially stopped playing high school water polo at the Tisca level. They they, they maintained their league locally. Um, do you, what can you say about that? What has your experience been, and what is your knowledge of the situation? Well, I have um, actually a guy that graduated with me in 2002 has been coaching there for a while, and so I've been he's been kind of giving me the uh, his version of what's going on, and um, and I so initially it started the problem started with the uh, the talent pool being divided, you know, and too many schools opening up. Right. Um, and I thought we were still in an OK place there because all the coaches had a pretty good grasp of definitely swimming and pretty much water polo, you know, for the most part. And then as these coaches that had been in there, like my dad's generation in the 80s and 90s started retiring, the, they had a hard time finding uh, swim coaches, you know, mm. anybody with swimming experience that was right. also a teacher, much less water polo um and so the ones that they did find i think wanted to folk they saw swimming as their main you know priority and sure. then water polo is just kind of taking away time from 
them training their swimmers. So that, that that's kind of the version I've got, and a little bit, I've seen a little bit of that as well. And I think the coach that did come in didn't really see. And my dad mentioned uh, George Block, who was kind of yeah. the architect of the whole uh, north side scene there for a while. He he really did a good job of integrating the water polo season and the, the swimming season, so they complemented each other. Mm. And that's honestly what I've been trying to emulate a little bit of Longhorn is is we have swimmers, we have water polo players, then there's no reason those athletes can't, you know, excel in both sports. None. If you manage it properly. Yeah, none whatsoever. Um, um, that's a bit of a touchy subject, I think, for a lot of people about what happened because, uh, uh, you know, they had ex- San Antonio teams had experienced a lot of success and they were, you know, typically the top four teams from the West region that was going to States. And they found it a bit troublesome because the talent elsewhere was, uh, was rising. But all that having been said, we're on the brink, as far as I can see of a Renaissance in San Antonio. Um, the UIL decision obviously makes a gigantic difference, but there were noises about those teams coming back into Tisco water polo regardless. Um, is that what you see as well? Like I, I, I suspect that, uh, there, there is going to be a renewed interest in the game in San Antonio as this becomes a UIL sport. Yeah, totally. I, I think the interest is 100% there from the uh, the athletes and the parents. And um, it's getting to the point where they're being so uh, insistent and loud that the coaches and administrators can't really ignore them too much longer. Right. And, um, you know, they have they definitely have the pool space. It's still have the same system that we had back when I was there. It, all the teams practice at the same facilities. Um, although now they have, you know, that amazing 1604 facility. Yeah, so, no kidding. Um, and they have enough teams there that they can run a pretty competitive, you know, local regular season, which is what they had been doing. But I right. think, um, you know, if you're the, the top fish in that pond, you definitely want to go out and test your medal against all the other teams in the state. So I think um, that'll be like the big and that's what my my coaching friends told me is like that's kind of where they they run into issues like all right now we have to travel now I have to work on the budget for getting up to Austin for regionals or state wherever you know that's going to be um, it's definitely not a question of okay are we going to do this it's how are we going to you know figure it you know how are we going to manage the budget how are we right. going to get everything the logistics um, so I I think you're right I think it's I mean they have the they have the athletes they have the pool space. Um, and the interest is there. There's no reason why it shouldn't be blowing up or returning to where it was. Right. And, the, and those are issues really that every team has to face now that the UIL decision has come around is about basically how is our funds allocated. And um, so they're, they're on, they're in the same boat as a lot of other teams, it seems like. So I, you know, I have mixed feelings about this. Like I've, I've been uh, waiting for San Antonio to come back, but as a coach in North Austin, they just, now it's, doubling the amount of competition we have, you know, and they're good. So I have, I have this part of me that's like, Oh, maybe stay away for a couple more <laughs> years, but uh, no, this is nothing but good news for the sport from, from my perspective. Yeah, I agree. I think just more, and my dad mentioned it, you know, if you have really high competition, that just raises everybody's level. And that's kind of what we need. I mean, we shouldn't be worried about being the best team in Texas. I think all of us, all, all the best, um, clubs and coaches and athletes, they want to play with the best kids in the country. You know, that's kind of our, you know, we're, nobody wants to be, see or continue with Texas water polo being kind of like, oh, they play water polo in Texas, the, the long running joke. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, one one final question. It's a little bit uh, peripheral, but um, you're you grow up in the scene in San Antonio, and at the time, was there any concept at all of water polo being in Austin or north of it, Waco, elsewhere, or was it just Central Texas meant San Antonio as far as you were concerned? Uh, yes, there was one team we played from Temple, and that was and they were you know 90% swimmers. They, I do remember they had one really fast swimmer that ended up playing uh, with me at UT. And so we're like, all right, it's got to shut this one guy down and we should be okay. Mm. Uh, but, but that was it. There was no, like no Austin teams. Um, I don't remember playing Waco at all either. Um, and, and it was interesting with the, the tournaments that they ran in San Antonio is that it was usually our San Antonio, you know, familiar faces every once in a while, like when that temple team showed up, there'd be this random team out of left field, you know, that, that none of us had ever seen before. And we probably didn't see again, but, so it would, like the interest that I think had always been there, but they just didn't have anything organized to kind of keep them playing, keep them coming. Right. Um, you know, maybe they didn't have a coach that it really does come down. To, I think the coaches and administrators kind of supplying that organization. Right. And, and enforcing everything. Well, and now you're you're experiencing some, some success. I mean, especially as Longhorn is starting to feed more and more players into the Austin and, and area high schools. Um, and, uh, I would say uh, unofficially, I know that the, there was we had polling on TX Water Polo about uh, the West region that uh, Austin High School, many of your players um, from Longhorn were on that team, and they were probably going to be the top seeded team out of the West this year. I I almost regret to say it, but um, but yeah, that 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 has changed dramatically in the in the Austin area since uh, you know even just in the last seven or eight years. So congratulations for that. Thanks. Yeah, that was, I mean, bittersweet, like you mentioned, like the, the Austin team was kind of led by a couple of our longtime seniors that have been with Longhorn since, you know, they were eight or nine years old. So uh, it's, that really was something, you know, when those, those kids started playing, they had no high school program to look forward to. There's right. no, there's no club program really or anything. We were starting it. So, uh, and the people that did play in the West region were all the, um, the Round Rock and Cedar Park schools. Right. And, those are just traditionally stronger swimming schools. They got, in, in general, I think, you know, you throw a stick, you'll hit better athletes. And if you throw them at the, the Austin High uh, athlete pool. Right. So um, that was that was pretty satisfying to finally see. And the Austin High team in particular hadn't really had a legitimate team on either side until this year. The boys and girls did a good job of kind of organizing and getting recruiting other athletes from their school. So, um, yeah, that was a, that was a bummer, but I think all the, the top, uh, four teams that trained at UT, which is kind of me emulating the San Antonio model is they all yeah. trained together and those are, those all had three or four pretty solid club kids that have been playing for three or four years. Right. In a way. Yeah. Um, well, so you've had that success and, um, I'm unfortunately, like I said, yeah, the, your father dropped off the line, so I can't say thank you to him, but I do want to say thank you to you for very much for spending time with us and talking about San Antonio area high school water polo. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. It's a lot of fun. Okay. We're done. Like another show in the can, as they say, but a couple things upcoming on the schedule that, uh, I think people could be reminded about. Yeah, we got the coaches. The coaches this Thursday. We got the Southwest Zone uh, Town Hall meeting uh, every every Tuesday at 6:30. The coaches. The coaches at 12:30 on 
on Thursdays. Um, and, uh, and next week, um, I'm going to have an interview with Amy Olson from Baytown Sterling, a three-time state MVP and kind of played at, at, at Iona and also, and also professionally overseas. So Right. Great stuff. Um, and obviously, uh, we just had excerpts of a conversation with the Andrews, but uh, we'll publish the entirety of that later this week. And then also, don't forget to vote. We have another round of Best of Texas still that's coming up, so uh, that'll be published soon. So keep an eye out for that as well. All right, James. It's been fun. It's been fun. Thank you, Joe, for your time. Thanks to the Andrews, both of them, Doug and Tom. Thank you for listening and for telling a friend about the TX Water Polo podcast. You can find us at TXWaterPolo.com to listen to us and find all kinds of other stuff. Um, but until next week, so long from Austin. All right, take care, guys. Production of TWP Sports LLC. My dog is scratching at the door. Uh, I can hear him.